You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, April 11th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Fire scientists and advocates for environmental justice are on opposite sides of the debate over a proposed clean air rule that could hamper the use of prescribed burns. The California Report untangles this complex dilemma. After regional news and weather, we peek into your pet's go bag, and economist Gary Zimmerman interprets the latest jobs data in a conversation with KVMR's Paul Emery. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. California has obtained an emergency stockpile of one abortion medication while the fate of the others plays out in the courts. KQED's health correspondent April Domboski explains. The recommended protocol for a medication abortion is to use two drugs, mifepristone first to stop the pregnancy hormones, followed by misoprostol to expel the pregnancy tissue. With a Texas court ruling now threatening the FDA approval of the first drug, mifepristone, California clinics are preparing to offer abortions using just misoprostol if necessary. So far, the state has stockpiled 250,000 misoprostol pills and has a plan to get up to 2 million if needed. That was KQED health correspondent April Domboski. Governor Gavin Newsom wants to secure more housing for homeless people with severe mental health issues. To do this, he's proposed a ballot measure to change how counties currently spend their mental health money. But advocates fear the proposal could come with big cuts to mental health programs for kids. Here's more from CalMatters health reporter Kristen Wong. Right now, counties rely on the funding pool Newsom is targeting to pay for children's mental health programs, like special classes for kids who have emotional difficulties or small group therapy at schools. If voters approve the ballot measure, much of the money for programs like these would be reallocated to housing for adults with severe mental illness and drug addiction. Doctors who work with this population say it's nearly impossible to see improvement without stable housing. But one children's program advocate in Los Angeles told me she was worried it would be like robbing Peter to pay Paul. Big picture, while the governor may tout this effort as a key part of solving the state's homelessness crisis, experts say housing affordability is the biggest driver of the problem, not untreated mental illness. That was CalMatters reporter Kristen Wong. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2024 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvineawards.org. Hint, fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple, in stores or delivered from hintwater.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. Clean air means healthier people. The Clean Air Act has saved hundreds of thousands of lives and avoided millions of childhood illnesses. Even so, the Environmental Protection Agency is planning to strengthen air standards. It's a move celebrated by many, but as KQED's Danielle Venton reports, some fire experts worry that the new rules could unintentionally lead to larger wildfires and worse air by making it harder to conduct prescribed burns. She joins us now. Danielle, to start, tell us what the EPA is targeting here. 
Well, the EPA has set its sight on a class of pollutants that are defined by their size and not what they're made of. They are called particulate matter or PM 2.5. Um, these are particles or droplets in the air that are 2.5 microns in length or smaller. They might come from vehicle emissions, dust, or fires, and they're a really terrible pollutant. What do they do and where are they found? Well, they're so small that they're able to get deep, deep in our lungs, and they can even cross into the bloodstream. They're associated with childhood asthma, bronchitis, heart attacks, and premature death. A couple areas in California really struggle with this pollutant. That's the San Joaquin Valley and the South Coast Air District. And the toll is especially hard on poor communities and communities of color. Environmental justice advocates have wanted these standards to be tightened for a really long time because they're such a burden on public health. Um, I spoke to Genevieve Amsalem of the Central California Environmental Justice Network, and here's what she told me. Everyone knows a parent who has brought their baby or their two-year-old into the ER because he or she or they couldn't breathe. You know, we should have had lowered standards years ago, and so I think it's a, a relief to see it now being proposed. If that's the feeling, why are some fire experts worried about this new rule? So it's a little complex, so just bear with me. While EPA air regulations have done a lot to clean up our air, those gains in the West are starting to be reversed because of all the smoke that we get from wildfires. Wildfires now make up a third of the PM 2.5 that we breathe in the U.S. But air districts who are responsible for making sure that our air is clean, they kind of don't have to worry about wildfire pollution. It's effectively not counted for in their tally of how much PM 2.5 there is. Even if we're still breathing it. That's right. But air districts are on the hook for smoke from prescribed fires. And if they think that prescribed fire smoke is likely to put them over the line for attaining clean air standards, they're not likely to approve those burns. And how is that a problem? Well, prescribed burns are less intense, less polluting, and they can serve as a kind of inoculation against future catastrophic fires. They're our most affordable, effective tool for that. Here's how Michael Wara, a climate and energy expert at Stanford, puts it. Wildfire is really challenging. The paradigm that is at the core of the Clean Air Act, that emissions can be controlled. Wildfire emissions are not being successfully controlled. They're growing. Some of the best hopes that we have for reducing public health impacts from wildfire have to do with substituting prescribed fire emission for high-intensity wildfire emission. You know, we know by now that trying to put out every fire is not the answer to living with fire, and that really awful fires just cannot be put out, no matter how many firefighters you have. So there's a real worry that this new standard, if it makes it harder to do prescribed fires, could push us towards a worse wildfire future. And is the EPA aware of this concern? They are, but so far their proposed solutions have met with a lot of skepticism from the prescribed fire community. And what exactly is going to happen is all going to be worked out in the coming weeks and months. That was KQED science reporter Danielle Venton. You can read Danielle's story about this on kqed.org forward slash news. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you, Maddie. And finally, Easter just passed, but there's still a bunny hanging around the Yuba City Police Department. Percy, or Officer Hops, isn't there to deliver Easter eggs. His official title is Wellness Officer, and he's meant to be an outlet for stress for the department. Officer Hops has attended community and school events, and Lieutenant Michelle Brazil tells CBS Sacramento he's already helping bridge trust between the department and the community. 
And that's the California Report for Tuesday, April 11th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, here's a follow-up to Monday's story about the sudden closure of Ubidoc's urgent care after negotiations over the building lease stalled. Late Monday afternoon, Dignity Health, which was the prospective buyer of the clinic in the Fowler Center, released this statement. Dignity Health can confirm we will not be acquiring Ubidoc's urgent care. However, we understand the critical role that urgent care plays in our community, and we are currently exploring options to expand those types of services to ensure patients continue to have access to care. As more information becomes available, we will be sure to share. This year's income tax filing deadline, normally in mid-April, has been extended to October 16th for Nevada County residents and people in 40 other counties who were affected by winter's severe storms. The extension was approved by Governor Gavin Newsom to allow people to claim a deduction for disaster loss. It aligns the tax deadline with an extension already granted by the Internal Revenue Service. Taxpayers affected by the storms qualify for the extension to file individual and business tax returns and make certain tax payments. This includes individuals whose tax returns and payments were due April 18th of this year, quarterly estimated tax payments due in 2023, business entities whose tax returns are normally due on March 15th and April 18th, and pass-through entity elective tax payments due June 15th. The extension is automatically approved and one does not need to file for it. The IRS states on its website that affected taxpayers claiming the disaster loss on their return should write in bold letters at the top of the form, California severe winter storms, flooding, landslides, and mudslides. Now here's your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. Cooler temperatures through Thursday, then warming into the weekend. North winds are expected over the Sacramento Valley Wednesday and Thursday. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, mostly clear with a low around 40. Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high in the mid-50s and a low of 37. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, partly cloudy with a low around 30 and southwest wind to 15 miles per hour. Wednesday will be sunny and breezy with a high near 48, a low around 20, and wind gusts up to 25 miles per hour. For Sacramento and Woodland tonight, mostly clear with a low around 45. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 65. Wednesday night will be breezy with a low in the mid-40s. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. As a thoughtful consumer of local news, you probably have a go bag to grab in case of an evacuation. But does your llama or tortoise or cat have a go bag? Pat Ehlers has spent 35 years helping Nevada County animals get to safety in case of emergency. She has some ideas about preparation in this talk with KVMR's Felton Pruitt. We're talking with Pat Ehlers. She's the coordinator for the Nevada County Veterinary Disaster Response Team. Thanks for talking with us, Pat. Thank you for inviting me to talk to you. So explain to folks just exactly what you guys do. 
Well, wear the purple shirts, and when there's a disaster, flood, uh, whatever the disaster may be, we're gearing up for the fire season again. We take in the animals that had to be evacuated, and we house them. So we just keep, give them a nice, safe haven to be at. So during the evacuations, most of the uh, large animals are taken to the Nevada County Fairgrounds. Is this what we're talking about? Yes, we take in the large and small animals. How long have you been doing this, Pat? I've been doing this since the 49er fire in 88. Wow. Was that one of your first ones, dealing with big fire evacuations? That was the very first time I dealt with one. I wasn't coordinator at that time. I was a triage technician, and um, I took over in 97 as coordinator. So here we are in the middle of April. And people are getting prepared for fire season. Everybody gets their go bags together. They know where they're, what zone they live in, so in case their zone gets called for evacuation. What should people with animals know about evacuating their animals and perhaps having to bring them to the fairgrounds? What should they know in advance now and prepare for? Well, what they should do is get their little go bags together. I joke and say the back end of my truck is my go bag because <laughs> I have all my animals' foods in that truck. And cat litter, and just in case you camp out with your animals, you need to have their food and their medicine. All of this should be in their go bags, along with the humans, their medicine, and any of the animals that have allergies to food need to make sure they have their special food in there so they don't end up getting sick. So you guys also take in things like horses. Do you take in like cows and stuff like that? Yes, we've even had Highland cattle okay. come in, and they're, they're quite something to see. Yes, we take in alpacas, llamas, goats, sheep, chickens, ducks, turkeys, the gamut. Anything that someone may have, we've even had tortoises. We're talking with Pat Ehlers, uh, the coordinator for the Nevada County Veterinary Disaster Response Team. Where can people go to find out more information about what you folks do and how they might want to support you? Well, that's the fun part that's going to be happening. On um, the 29th, we're going to be having a fundraiser at the 49er Fun Park. We're going to have the team there and literature, and we can answer any questions or concerns about how to evacuate. But also in May, um, we will be also at the Root Center, and that's May 6th. We'll be there at a table and be able to talk to anyone that may have any concerns about their animals. Is there a website where people can go to get information? Yes, we do. And that's N-E-V-C-O, animal, evac, dot org. And is there a phone number for folks that are kind of computer challenged? They can always call me, and that's area code 530-477. 6506. It's a wonderful thing you guys do, Pat, and uh, we just we thank you for serving our community so well for so long. Good luck with your benefits. You've got one at the uh, 49er Fun Park on the 29th. What time does that get going? 11 o'clock. That's Pat Ehlers, the coordinator for the Nevada County Veterinarian Disaster Response Team. Thank everybody there for all that you do for our animals. Thank you so very much. The tension hasn't let up between inflationary pressures on the national economy and a labor market that continues to run hot, despite much publicized layoffs in big tech. 
In today's conversation with KVMR's Paul Emery, economist Gary Zimmerman gets to work teasing apart the most recent jobs data. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kalb, wealth management advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983, on Spring Street in Nevada City, rickkalb.com. Well, welcome back, Gary. Um, As usual, the economy and the Federal Reserves are newsworthy. Uh, Today, I'd like to start by asking about the jobs data that came out last Friday. A good um, so-so? What do you think? Well, there are several new job numbers that were released last week. And overall, my most straightforward answer should be um, it depends on what you're looking for. If you are concerned about the economy expanding too fast and inflation not slowing, then a strong jobs report would be bad news. Fed is likely to have to raise interest rates more or again. If you're looking for a job, a, a tight labor market, rising wages and you know, rapid job creation, that's definitely good news. Um, if you're a Fed policymaker trying to make decisions to slow inflation over the next couple of years down to their 2% goal, you might be considering whether another or more short-term or overnight interest rate increases will be enough to slow the economy and the job market and inflation. And you know what is that good policy choice to bring down inflation without throwing the economy into a recession? Let me be more specific. What happened to the unemployment rate? And was it a significant change in in your opinion? Paul, the unemployment rate, which is based on a large national survey conducted by the Bureau of Labor Statistics each month, fell slightly from 3.6% of the civilian labor force to 3.5%. A 3.5% unemployment rate is very low. In fact, it's as low as it has been in around 50 years. Um, And a slight change from 3.6 to 3.5 isn't isn't very significant. Uh, I think what is significant here is that the job market overall remains tight and that that 3.5% unemployment rate is a full employment (laughs) level of, you know, in the labor markets. You know, I think if you look, for example, at what the Fed policymakers think, they have been saying uh, full employment is around 4% of the unemployment, uh, 4% unemployment rate today. Here's a quick question, Gary. Isn't there another unemployment rate that is still higher because it includes workers who move move in and move out of the labor force um, frequently? Yes, Paul, that measure of unemployment that you're asking about is often called the underemployment rate or um, economists often call it the U6 uh, because it includes workers who may only be marginally attached to the labor force and it includes part-time workers who really want a full-time job um, and discouraged workers as well. So these workers are more likely to be unemployed at any given time or survey date and that's why that uh, underemployment rate is higher. Uh, But like the unemployment rate at 3.5%, the underemployment rate is very low by historic standards. It was 6.7% in March. And except for a few recent months when it was slightly lower, that 6.7% underemployment rate is lower than it has been since the data were collected, you know, from, say, 1984 to 2022. Uh, So it's also very low as well. So it's consistent with full employment. Um, You know, and, and that reflects the tight labor market that we've seen and, you know, the fact that the economy is still adding jobs at a robust pace in, in early 2023. 
Okay, Gary. Well, just how many jobs has the national economy been adding? In California, we keep hearing about job losses in the tech sector. Aren't those job losses limiting national job growth? In March, the national economy added um, 236,000 new jobs. And while that was down from about 100,000 new jobs, um, adding over 200,000 jobs a month is still a strong job report. You know, and it is consistent with other indicators that tell us about you know, labor markets remaining tight um, and that there may still be close to 10 million job openings today. Now, as you noted, at the same time, the tech sector uh, is experiencing sizable layoffs and, you know, still the national economy added 236,000 jobs. And that's that's impressive, especially when, you know, one factors in the fact that um, the Fed is slowing, trying to slow down the economy, raising interest rates to lower economic growth and the, lower the inflation rate. And, you know, we've also gotten past that period of rapid growth when the labor markets and the economy were rebounding from the steep but short 2020 COVID recession. So, you know, while there are headwinds facing the labor market yet, you know, so far it continues to expand and add jobs at a, at a brisk pace. Uh, one more question, Gary. Uh, seems like despite some economists worrying about a recession, it sounds like the labor markets re- are remaining strong and that provides important support for the overall economy to continue to expand. Um, is that true? Well, Paul, I I would agree. So far, the strength in the labor markets is a very positive indicator of where the economy is today and why it's continuing to expand, Um, even if it's, you know, GDP growth is or output is slowing, likely to slow. Um, You know, and if the job market starts to slow dramatically or we start to lose jobs, then that's another story. But certainly these are all signs that, you know, Fed economists and policymakers and um, economic forecasts are watching carefully sort of to see what's going on with the labor market and, you know, is it going to continue to support the economy's performance? And, you know, so far labor markets are providing strong positive signals. And that's that's good news, I think, for us. Well, Gary, thank you very much and look forward to our next chat in a couple of weeks. Sounds good, Paul. Thank you. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco and is currently a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria. He teaches courses in economics and finance. That's our newscast for Tuesday, April 11th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Nevada County Citizens for Choice, promoting reproductive justice and equitable reproductive health care access, advocacy, and education with compassionate services for women, men, and teens. Learn more at citizensforchoice.org. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Wednesday for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.